Welcome back to Literally Literary. If this is your first time joining us, be sure to check out our previous episodes. This episode, we are continuing our discussion on Concrete Rose by Angie Thomas. Today, we will be focusing on the first half of the novel, looking at some of our favorite moments. Um, well, it, it's um, we're really excited to um, dig into uh, Angie's prequel. And, um, you know, we're gonna try to be, um, try to be thorough in the first half. Uh, you know, th- there's, um, there's a lot to cover, you know, in a novel like this one, because we also have to think about uh, its predecessor, which is its sequel. Um, so um, I think you and I said mentioned pre-show that uh, you had, um, you had, you know, the, the epigraph, right? That you wanted yeah. to talk about? Yeah, um, so it just says, for all the roses growing in concrete, keep blossoming. Um, and obviously, like that just ties into like everything that's going on in the book. It kind of gives you an idea of what's going on, I think. Um, but it's also like a message of hope for like all of these other people, like for anyone that reads this book that is also, um, I guess, in a way struggling. But like kind of figuring out life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, going back to that Tupac poem you read uh, the first time and, um, and like you're saying, you know, the, um, it's, it's very counterintuitive, right? Something as natural as a plant um, growing in something that is not suited for its environment. Um, and um, it's um, it's the way also the, the novel becomes organized. You know, part one is uh, germination. Part two is growth. Um, part three, trying to remember off the top of my head. Um, I know the last part is bud. Uh, was part three development or no? I think it's like, Dormancy. Dormancy. Mm. <laughs> That's why you're the fact checker. <laughs> <laughs> Strikes again. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and you know, um, it's um, a very uh, important symbol um, bec- that takes on the literal component as well as we'll cover later on uh, with. Um, Mav's own uh, gardening, uh, attempts at gardening later on. So we'll get to that. Um, you know, the, the story starts off um, pretty um, playfully, you know, as, you know, this novel can be kind of hard to get through, I think similar to The Hate You Give uh, because of its violence. Um, but, um, you know, in the beginning you have just this you know, they're, they're in the court and they're talking smack or as you would expect. Uh, so it's King, Mav, uh, the rest of the crew. Um, and I think you, Vanessa, right, had that passage on page seven. Yeah. Um, so towards the bottom of the page, it kind of breaks down the different levels of the gang members from the Yes, I don't know why I, was, I couldn't think of that. <laughs> <laughs> fact check the <Words>. fact checker. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so it describes them as being the youngins, who are the middle schoolers, um, and then the little homies, which is like Maverick and King, um, and then the big homies, which is Dre and Sean. Um, and then he later names like the OGs, which is like, I guess his dad is one of them. Yeah, and yeah. they mentioned that the rest of them oh. are like dead or in prison, mm-hmm. like him, those OGs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I felt like that was really interesting and it like really sets up like you, it kind of breaks down how Maverick is going to interact with these people throughout the novel, I think. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it, it, um, I was trying to remember if we had gotten this kind of explanation of the hierarchy and that you give, but I don't think we did, right? Because we weren't mm -hmm. seeing things from Mav's perspective um, mm -hmm. or even King's. So yeah, um, Richie, I know you mentioned this last time with part one, you were talking about this, well, you two were both talking about this hierarchy. Um, what did you think of it? Oh, do you mean, just mean like the explanation of the, the group dynamics? Yeah, just seeing how kind of King and him are still kind of considered the little homies and Yeah, know. yeah. I mean <clears throat> I mean not at this point, but you definitely see it see it a few times throughout the first half of the well, you know, er, later on in, in later iterations in the book where they re he refers to it as a fraternity. Um yeah, so you have this tier. I think I think it's interesting. Um especially in within the lens that both Maverick and King are the sons of like the former leaders. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on with, with with structure too, but also family ties. And I think Dre being part of it is kind of like a kind of like a bridge, as as one of the one of the ups or one of the big homies taking care of his his cousin as a little homie in Maverick. Um, as as a promise, you know, to his mom. But um, yeah, I think uh, I I like the way it's laid out. Um, and it, it definitely does play into kind of like the rising conflict as the novel progresses. Yeah, and um, you, you do see that you know the legacy, right? Because um, they're they're referred to as uh, Little Don and um, right, Little Zeke, um. And um, even just, for, you know, from this scenario, like a bus basketball game, um, King right away kind of is already, you know, kind of overstepping his boundaries, right? And so you kind of get a clear characterization of him where, you know, he's not going to let a big homie get in his way. Um, so he's already got that attitude problem. Um and um, Mav kind of informs us later on, you know, and, you know, on, on page nine that like um, his parents were murdered, he's a foster, et cetera, right? So he's had it rough um, at the same time. So it is kind of an interesting background for, for King. Um, and then, you know, Carlos comes in and we had talked about Carlos, right, last time. Uh, and of course, Carlos, um, becomes a police officer in the hit you give um what about later on did you guys have um in the 10s or 20s the a side bit with the whole carlos introduction it, it is pretty funny and i like how how angie thomas is kind of playing around a little bit with the language here where maverick just the way he describes um he interrogated me like he was police <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah it's good to have fan service there. And I like also how his, his mother here, who's introduced, you know, we haven't talked about her much. Um, on page 15, you know, she's already kind of pushing him to like go to school, you know, so you can get out of here. Um, so I think, you know, her importance is, of course, her influence is, is of course, very important. And um, it's good that, you know, she's there for him, right? Because for someone like King, he doesn't have someone like that pushing him in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, on that point, um, the the first passage I, I kind of had highlighted that I wanted to bring kind of went off of that, um, where her, you know, it is confirmed his child and he's been abandoned and his it's his mother who's telling him it's on page 27 i mean i guess we can go back if we need to because i know you have an earlier passage vanessa but, um, uh, no well i was going to talk about page 25 but oh, I okay guess yeah it's go for it the same thing okay yeah um well so on page 25 is um right after maverick changes seven or i guess 
being junior at this point in the story, um, he changes his diaper for the first time. And then when he comes out, he sees that Aisha and her mom are gone. Um, so this is kind of where he was forced to have to like take on this father role for the first time. Right. Yeah. And so they, they take him home and um, he's still kind of, he's processing it. And, and, you know, it's his, it's his mother who pretty much lays it all down to him. Um, so that's where my passage was on uh, middle to end of the page on, on page 27. Um, and she just straight up tells him, you're going to do whatever you have to do, Maverick. Um, that's what being par- a parent means. Your child is now your responsibility. You'll be changing his diapers. You'll be feeding him. You'll be dealing with him in the middle of the night. You, And, of course, he kind of breaks off on this thought. I, I really like the style, too, that Thomas uses here to kind of express Maverick's thoughts all throughout. Um, you know, he, he kind of has a, a pause to think, like, man, she don't she doesn't even care. Um, when, obviously, the truth is she does a lot, right? Um, and I love the description of the mother that we get and it's through the lens of his grandmother's words describing his mother to him right um and that's that's what i had highlighted here um yeah talking about the mother the grandmother says um she came in in the world ready for whatever when things fall apart she quick to grab the pieces and make something new out of them that that was a really Mm -hmm. little moment of thinking back and um, that's pretty much what he's left with. That's what he has to do. That's his his life now. He's got to put it back together. Yeah, and that description you read reminds me of um, Xiomara. Um, you know, because the way she was born, right? What was it? Feet first, mm-hmm. and you know, her name itself, right, is um, a fighter or something like that. Um, so, kind of. She's got that fighter in her, right? And someone who's mm. not going to back down. And Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, those those are, I mean, we learn a lot within those pages about the role that Maverick's mother is going to play that, you know. Um, and it's also noted that um, Isha's mom uh, kind of doesn't, isn't really present. You know, she she's not really interested um, so it's kind of like the opposite. Like she, she just kind of leaves everything. Aisha's mother, that is. Mm. And I think she also, Aisha's mom isn't very supportive in like, in comparison to Maverick's mom. Like exactly. she has him handle everything on his own, but she's there and she's got him. But Aisha's mom is kind of like, you did this, you're on your own kind of thing. So Stuff it's, it's interesting. It. Super yeah. interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Sorry, mm-hmm. sorry. <laughs> yeah like i like the way it's kind of sets them up as foils in that way mm. yeah yeah and so a lot of these moments at the beginning um have that you know um kind of like i said the kind of um lighthearted moments that really show you the the struggles of single parenthood and um even with the help of his mom here right he's still struggling clearly and, um, you know, he's learning the hard way, um, but he's learning is, I think, the important point there. Yeah, exactly. Um, even as sometimes he kind of um, is resentful of the, uh, of how they're kind of really rubbing it in, right? That too bad, right? You got a kid, you got to take care of him. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's also why I think Dre becomes so important because Dre understands being, you know, a father in in this case. And I think that's, Mm. he's able to support him in this. this. That is true, yeah. He supports him in so many ways, but um, yeah, I I, I just, because in the beginning, you know, he sees him as part of the, the gang or, or is kinging, but we learn uh, slowly throughout how how Dre plays a more unique role, I guess, and that mm-hmm. he he tries to make sure that he he leaves Maverick off of like the heavy stuff, kind of the heavy kind of selling, kind of has them barely involved, but uh, more so once he has the baby, kind of helping him with you know expenses like 
stuff that would be extra expensive, like and by giving him hand hand downs from what he used to have when he had his baby. Mm. He would just help sometimes. Yeah. And um speaking of which, I think if I'm not mistaken, you said Richie you had like thirty four, thirty five as your one of your passages a little later. Yeah, exactly. So so just kind of expanding on that, my, my passage was on, on page thirty four where uh, I believe yeah, he's talking he's talking with Dre and uh, it's one of their first kind of like heart to heart talks. You know, I love that they're able to kind of express themselves a little bit more freely with each other. So the passage I highlighted starts with hell no top middle of the page hell no my life got thrown into a blender and i'm left with something i don't recognize on top of that i'm suddenly somebody's pops and i wish i had my pops um i i chose this passage um because it's a true moment of just vulnerability and honesty um and it mimics the the passage i i or to me it parallels a little bit the passage earlier about his mom how she she works with with that um, when life hands you these things things that you don't recognize and she's able to make something out of it. Um, whereas in this case, he's he's noting the absence of his father, which I think you 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 yourself mentioned um, single fatherhood being something that's going to be discussed throughout um, here, especially on. And then just I think throughout the book the the theme of masculinity and what that entails and what it means plays throughout. And so him not having his father really around, I think kind of leaves that hole. And again, you mentioned King as an example of someone who did lose his father. And uh, I think it's interesting, the kind of people who end up filling some of these roles to him, which he considers, right? Like Wyatt, we haven't kind of touched about that on the first episode, but I know we'll get a good chance this first step this first part um to talk about talk about that but i just felt that line in itself um kind of opens itself or plants a seed for for some of these later scenes in which he is has a developing relationship with dre in which he can really really just kind of let his guard down quote unquote Mm -hmm. and, and and share his feelings that um i feel he can't do with his friends because they're always ragging on him and making fun of him and giving more of a hard time for a situation. You know, I liked, I liked it in that sense. We'll, we'll touch on some of those things later. Yeah. I mean, those are all really good points about the, the way, the role that um, Dre is playing in throughout all this. Um, and even he admits it, right. That like, he's not going to be able to hide those things from him, you know, cause he knows or he's going to find out either way. Um, but um, yeah, so, um, you know, there's a kind of confrontation here, right? Because, um, you know, he's, he's kind of selling on his side and, you know, trying to make more money. And, you know, there's the kind of an allusion to Doug there, right? Because the kicks that he's wearing, you know, they're nice, right? Just like uh, Sar had, right? With Kalu mm-hmm. at the beginning. Um, that's kind of what they've noticed. And it's kind of interesting, you know, later on that Dre's kind of helping him break that cycle, right? Of he says literally you could break the cycle. What else did you all have um later on? I got like until 45. Okay. Um, so something that we obviously always talk about on the show is names and the importance of names. Um so this, in this moment, it's a conversation between um, Maverick and his dad. Um, and he's telling him that his son is named after King. Um, and so it says, Zeke named King that in honor of the set. I got nothing against it or your homeboy, but your son ought to have something of his own, a name with purpose. I was real mindful when I named you Maverick Malcolm Carter. Maverick mean independent thinker. Malcolm come from Malcolm X. Guess Pops wanted me to be a leader from the jump. Um, so it just, it shows, like, the importance that have, like, a name has and, like, 
towards who you become in life. Um, so when we talked about the hate you give, we talked about King and how he ultimately became, I guess, the big homie for um, the King Lords. Yeah, I love the the line uh, in that same in that same conversation where Dad Don Adonis encourages him, give him a name that tells him who he is and who he can be. The world's gonna try and do that enough. Kind of idea of external like the external forces of the world like they're already going to be coming over you and what their preconceived notions of you are and where you come from and and who who you are and so i love this idea of of the name kind of being part of your own search of self and and being a name that with with purpose means so much in this world Yeah, like you were saying, Vanessa, we've, t- we've talked a lot in this uh, series in our show about the etymology um, and uh, the importance of it, you know, going back to poetics, like I had mentioned. Um, and uh, we, of course, also see this with the hit you give. Um, so it's nice that Angie is giving fans, um, you know, more of this background into Mav um and king and such um and um you know the the name here for maverick um it's something to think about also with um kind of how he's whether he is going to go on his own direction given what we know about him and the hate you give um you know with with um with the king lords and um, you know, a little. It's it's been mentioned that you know they have this rivalry with you know the Garden Disciples, and <clears throat> and of course he's got his own kids. So um, you know, with with Dre there, you have to wonder up to this point, you know, that he's gonna be he's gonna be able to to chart his own path, right? Being a maverick. Um, but then, you know, um, things get uh, pretty dark here um, a little later on. Um, Interspice with um, some of the discussion about, uh, you know, what's, what's, he, what's he gonna name him? Um, so did you all have a passage from there like in the 50s? Or in the sixties, maybe. I mean, I have, I do have passages, but I don't, I don't know if they're burned off the naming thing. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I just, I don't know. Did you have any Vanessa? I have fifty-five. Oh, okay, okay. Is it the one you were going to talk about? No, no, no. Uh, well, yeah. No, go, go ahead. But I, I just wanted to point out on fifty-three. I, I thought it was a interesting thing is how. Um, Maverick still hasn't told Lisa about what's happened, and he's kind of keeps holding it off. He'd rather tell in person, of course. Great, um, but I do like the line um, of on on the bottom of page fifty three. Um, you got to tell her the streets will mm-hmm. kind of the way people operate. So I think I thought that was a pretty mm-hmm. pretty good line. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and going back to man manhood, right? You know, he's he's still afraid of confronting that reality, whether it's with Lisa, Dre, King, um, and even to some extent, you know, his mom, and then later on, um, Mr. Wyatt, you know, he's he's got this kind of bad habit of, you know, trying to run away from problems, trying to hide the truth. So um, it's good that he's got people here who kind of call him out on it like Dre does. And on 55, Vanessa, what is it you want to see about the, the whole Tupac thing here? Um, so this is kind of where he gets the idea for the name Seven. Um, so it's all of the different connections that Tupac has to the number seven. Um, so he talks about um, 
He was shot on the 7th. He died seven days after that, exactly seven months to the day that all, all eyes on me dropped. And then later on it says, he died at 4.03 p.m. Four plus three is seven. He was born on the 16th. One plus six is seven. Um, he was also 25 when he died. Two plus five, seven. Um, and then the seven-day theory is kind of what they're talking about. Um, and so, that, like, he's talking about it, and he, uh, Maverick gets really, like, hyped up about the idea. And then later on, when he's thinking about, name, like, names, he thinks that seven is the perfect name for his son. Yeah. Um, and um, it's also a nice era where we get this... Um... Um, reference to those of us who are old enough to remember the whole Y2K scare um, that unlike the pandemic didn't actually cause any trouble. Um, so um, yeah, I mean, more etymology here. Um, and um, going back, of course, to the hate you give and kind of, um, you know, the, the Tupacian philosophy that Angie's building, right, from, you know, um, kind of this, this whole conspiracy, but also the importance of, the, you know, naming someone um, and having, having a role model, too. Yeah, I mean, it's also a sense of, uh, I think, I think I mentioned this the first episode, but, you know, his, again, having a role model, and, and he's trying to think, Maverick's thinking about himself as a role model, and that's why he he he's already seeking um, a better opportunity in life for his son. That's why he considers him like he's looking at this idea of perfection, like a more perfect version of himself. That's how he sees his mm -hmm. son. Yeah, definitely the the way that I think every parent I think right sees their own kid, and um, there's a lot here then about the legacy right going back to what we talked about with um little king and little zeke um you know and um how that plays into the the different directions right manhood can take you next passages are 58 and 59 i don't know if it's had anything before mm. around there mm. no okay so um this this kind of goes off, and I've already mentioned, alluded to it already in this episode, but now we get a, a better sense of um, the different types of love centered around Maverick and the raising of his son in the situation he's in. We've already talked about the mother and how he's missing his father, uh, but you also have the influence of the Wyatts here mentioned in these pages. Um, and so... On page 58, uh, you kind of see... So, Dre is has already been giving Mav his own kind of tough love. Where, yeah, they can relate, but also he's he's being very demanding that he stop this extra side gig that he's been doing with King. And he's, you know, kind of forcing him to stop and make King stop, too. That's one kind of tough love. You also have the kind of tough love you see from Mr. Wyatt... Um, where he, you know, he's trying to teach him, no, sir, yes, sir, no, sir, you know, when, when talking to people, to others, and, uh, um, Maverick goes back to this memory of when his father's arrest was arrested, and the Whites actually took him in, uh, took Maverick in, you know, because the, the police were gonna, they were gonna take him away, and so they took care of him, and then, of course, um, on 59, the same, the next page, you also see how, how Mrs. Wyatt's offering to babysit while, you know, Maverick is is gonna be working. It could be kind of because Wyatt also gives him a job, you know, at the grocery store and working the garden. So I just thought that was a kind of like a pivotal moment in understanding some of their relationships here. For sure, and also with um, with Mr. Wyatt's uh, grocery store, um, you know, we find out that it's been there. It's it's as old as the garden, you know, and so. It's it's got that history behind it, um, 
you know, it's, it's kind of its own bros, right. That has grown out of that concrete that's been nurturing, um, um, Mav here, you know, since, since he was a kid and, um, and that now, you know, where he needs it is there for him, right. With his job, even though he of course is, um, very hesitant to take that on, um, because, you know, he kind of feels, um, you know, that um, they're, they're going to be on top of him, right? And he doesn't, of course, want that. And later on, you know, um, Mav talks with Lisa and um, he has this moment in 66 where he's kind of, um, he's kind of imagining, you know, he has this kind of uh, what I call like a, false shadowing in the sense that doesn't really happen at least so far but you know that she's gonna live in a mansion have a bunch of kids um you know she's gonna go to college and all these kinds of things and um you know that he doesn't he doesn't imagine that for himself is the thing um so at this point you know i think Maverick doesn't really have that much confidence in himself and himself clearly. Um, and I think later on, you know, we'll talk about some of the passages where he really is like quite academically um, fluent, you know, and um, in a sense, you know, he's able to kind of give you these insightful takes on all kinds of things. And he just doesn't really realize it, I guess. He doesn't make much of it. Did you all have something there in the 70s? Um, I had 73. Okay. Um, so this is where, this is like in the middle of the night when Seven is crying. And Maverick doesn't, like he's exhausted and he like no longer knows how to handle the situation. Um, and so he kind of just leaves. That um, says, I shouldn't snap, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I can't make him stop crying. I can't sleep. I can't do this. I set him in his crib as he screamed at the top of his little lungs, and I walk out the room. Um, and so he leaves. He essentially just goes out to the front porch and sits down. Um, but like even throughout like the rest of the novel, he kind of goes back to this moment when he like wanted to give up. Um, but I think the important part like is that he does go back and he like doesn't give he doesn't give up. He like continues to try to be there for seven. Yeah, Vanessa, and this is what I meant, you know, in part one where I think this would be a great novel to kind of have discussions about in, in high school classrooms where, you know, like you had said, Richie, that there really isn't a, a comprehensive sex ed, right, in classrooms. It's a lot of times um, misrepresented or, you know, um, just one unit, right, as opposed to like a whole semester or something. Um, and um, the frustration there is is almost poetic, right, in how there's that anaphora, right? And, um, um, you know, the, the, the stresses that Madman is causing him um, also make Maverick, I think, more resourceful, right? Because he's able to multitask. Um, and it's pretty impressive, actually, right? Later on, how he's able to, you know, take care of so many things while he's taking care of the baby. So, he doesn't realize it as the thing once again. And then I think on 76, right, is where um, he, he says, right, and I don't know if anyone had this passage on 76, 77. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he says, um, after talking to Dre about the Tupac theory, um, he says, it said that seven represents perfection and that people tend to hold it above the rest. I think I want to name him Seven. And then he goes on to say, 
I think I want to make Maverick his middle name. Everybody say he looks like me. Since that's the case, I want him to be the best version of me, the perfect Maverick Carter. Um, so he ends up, you know, um, taking Dre's idea to heart, you know, that Seven is going to be um, his perfect version. And I think that's where I think maybe he starts turn one of the corners in his life, right? Because, you know, to that point, having King Jr., right? Or, you know, they call him Man Man, right? But um, I don't know. I think up to that point, you know, it isn't, the relationship um, isn't as, you know, it's more of the kind of, um, you know, he sees it as a hassle, right? Um, and like you were seeing Vanessa in that passage, right? The, he's, he's seems like he's going to have a, a breakdown. Um, but then after naming him, I think he finally, you know, he, he, he does turn that corner little by little. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have um, page uh, 81 a little later. I don't know if any of you had anything before that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's a small passage that just describes the setting. You know, this novel, like we had said, is set 17 years before um, that he gave. And so we found, you know, it's, it's I guess, the year is 1998. Um, and the school is Garden High. So Garden High is really named Jefferson High School, but people rarely call it that. I researched that man enough you need to be named after him. He was a slave owner and the president of the Confederate States. Garden Heights had always been mostly black. And I figure whoever named the school after him did it as a middle finger to all of us, like they calling us slaves. Um, so last year, you know, and maybe this was on um, Angie's mind as she wrote as she wrote this, if if she was still writing this at the time, but you know, um, for some time now, I think we've had this discussion of Confederate statues. And I know that, you know, a lot of people were saying that um, people were destroying history by taking down those statues. But, you know, because of uh, George Floyd, you know, there was a lot of, I think, a good discussion about that idea. Um, So here, you know, it puts the, the name in, into context, right, of um, being named after Jefferson Davis and, um, um, you know, how they, they try to turn that around, right, by giving it its own name. Um, so I really like that detail. Um, and um, it kind of shows that they have that awareness about themselves, about the, the area. So, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, with everything that's going, that's gone on, you know, the Confederate flag at the Capitol, I think, um, it's a very, like I said, a very small passage, just one paragraph, but, um, I think it would be a good, a good place to talk about this kind of thing within history, right? And the history of, of the Confederacy, which only lasted a few years, but a lot of people still hold on to those racist ideas. Yeah, man. Um, the next passage I had is very closely related to that mm. um, when he's talking about his history class. Yeah, go for it. The teacher there is um, Phillips. And, um, you know, in this case, it, it's similar where, you know, but thinking about, again, U.S. history, but as colonialism, um, he says the passages on, on the page top top of page 87. I fell asleep in U.S. history. It was boring anyway. I'm tired of hearing about all these fucked up white people who did fucked up stuff, yet people want to call them heroes. Phillips talked about how Columbus discovered America, and all I could think of was how, how the hell can you discover a place where people already lived? Funny how that worked. So it's in a very similar vein of you know, questioning that, you know, why are you going to name the school this, you know, after this guy? 
this history and then thinking about even in his own history class um yeah this i mean this this very wrong concept of columbus discovering america that will still love to to teach in history classes especially to the youth create heroes out of discoverers definitely um and um i like also the like you said right that you know um it's important uh fertile ground to you know for for the the classroom is for these kinds of discussions you know because you know a lot of times they become very tokenized you know um like columbus day is like furniture sale right or you know um mm. so a lot of people lose that connection you know and um so even if they get in the classroom um it just kind of becomes part of the the social sphere that people don't even think about it much anymore but i think more and more you know with social media um people become more aware of it because they were they risk that awareness um but i also like to nod in in the you know and to hate you give here with um talking about the, the you know how romeo and juliet like she was a queen lord and he was a gd a garden disciple in other words um because you know I, I was remembering um in hate you give star compares it to or mav i think it is <laughs> compares mm -hmm. it to um harry potter yeah so um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I like I like I was gonna mention that too, like how he uh, he has that lens for Romeo and Juliet. They mm -hmm. went out on their own terms, like straight up G's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, so um it, it it's nice, you know, he um Mav as a character is humorous, he's tr struggles and he's really relatable. So I mean there's a lot of stuff here, especially like in, in these high school sec sections that I think in terms of teaching, bring up interesting conversation. Mm -hmm. Even going back to your the passage of the high school in this name, um, I, I was just remembering now, like the whole reason King was expelled from school and that coach. Mm. I don't oh, know if you guys yeah. had that on page, around page 90, 91. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think um, it's such an interesting backstory because, you know, in if you have read the hit you give you you see king in a different light but here he, he's kind of like a hero in the way he stood up to this this coach but i think it's super interesting how he brings up this this stuff um on page 90 where he's, he says this dude was a redneck he didn't throw around the n-word nah it was other stuff like having a confederate confederate flag on his truck calling it heritage i think that that opens that line brings a pretty good interesting discussion you know on what does that actually mean mm -hmm. yeah i mean and um even though he doesn't throw the n-word around like uh mav says here he doesn't need to right and so there's that uh iconography behind the confederate flag like you're saying right that would be a good discussion and then also, I mean, even more the the dead ringer there of, I mean, he calls him boy and, and he is technically, I guess, a boy, but boy, of course, also has that racial connotation behind it. So it, it's very problematic. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, that, that is definitely interesting, Richie, how, you know, he, he is kind of um, mythologized here, right, for standing up to this authority figure yeah um and it's we also find out you know um the Wyatts were actually fostering him and but he ended up going to juvie and naturally you know they were too strict on him so did you all have something else here in the 90s or 100s i mean i don't know if you guys have 102 103 i think that's such yeah. a huge passage right <laughs> but uh, yeah i don't i don't really have anything before it so. yeah yeah i mean um you know, going back uh, to the epigraph, and um, here we get the little representation of a garden. 
uh, Mr. Wyatt kind of uh, gives him this little assignment here, you know, um, or, you know, starts talking about how this all works, right? And um, um, <clears throat> so, you know, he, he, he starts by saying here, um, you're only putting roses in this bed? That's a plan, Mr. Wyatt says here. Roses need space to grow, why you ask? Um, seems like a lot of space to give something you can't eat. You might be right, he admits. I like to be reminded that beauty can come from much of nothing. To me, that's the whole point of flowers. Um, and then at the bottom, you know, he goes on and says, roses are fascinating little things, can handle more than folks think. think. I've had roses in full bloom during an ice storm. They could easily survive without any help. We want them to thrive. We'll have to prune them, things like that. Um, so, you know, there's of course the literal representation of roses um, having that resiliency and um, how it shows Mr. Wyatt's attention to detail and care. Um, but of course, you know, there's a symbolism behind it. So um, what did you guys think of that? No, I thought this was a really good passage just because this is the first time that we really get to see him like working in the garden. Mm. Um, and I think like through Mr. Wyatt, there's like a lot of really good advice and like lessons that he teaches him, like just from working in the garden alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and getting him, a, getting him a, a work ethic. Yeah, what I liked about this is... Um, you know, kind of building on my conversation earlier, I just I just kind of wanted to build up naturally through our, our discussion of the book. But this notion that, that Mr. Wyatt doesn't just because the, the fact is that the roses can survive in harsh conditions. But to him, he, he it's not just about surviving. It's about thriving. And so what does that mean? So, again, looking at at both the literal and figurative, in this case, obviously, the, the figurative roses, I mean, it's kind of on the nose, right? But their their whole their whole hood is is Garden Heights, and they call it the Garden, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so you have this this literal garden in which you know I think it's, it's pointed, but you know the fact that they're just having this discussion on pruning, right? Getting rid of what they don't need, and I just think it's it's such a great reflection of why Maverick is this concrete rose, and he's trying to get rid of. Mm -hmm everything that he doesn't need you know and he's he is battling this this life that he's known with the king lords or kinging as i think he calls it mm. um and, and now having to to raise a human being human beings uh you know start you know thinking about these mm. kind of things so uh that's why i really liked that that specific instance of the passage where why it's insisting on not just survival but thriving mm -hmm. yeah and um the pruning that you mentioned i it's an interesting interpretation of yours of kind of um you know um looking at the thorns that mav might have um but i'm also thinking of like um you know because of the king lords right and the garden disciples how there's they're, they kind of pruned themselves right and each other um both i guess within the intergang violence but also the intergang right because of how king kind of from the beginning right is kind of um trying to rise up in that ladder and um trying to go behind you know the race back and all that so right that discussion there if, if it doesn't help them grow Kind of like when you act against the the whole unit, the whole the whole gang, get pruned. And then I didn't have something to like uh, page one twenty. Um, I had something one fifteen. Get anything before Vanessa? No. Okay. Um, and this is another conversation between Dre and Maverick, and uh, you know, again when he's venting, venting. Um, you know, about not having Lisa, King, Junior, and Rico don't come around when I at school or work, I'm stuck at home. And then Dre just kind of simply asks him, Is that that's what defines you? 
very kind of important, like reframing and repositioning for him. Doesn't understand just yet, but we'll eventually get to. Mm. I said just a quick little observation. Yeah. The way he, I like the way he just kind of called him out on that. Like those are the things that defined you. Yeah. Yeah, you know, because from the beginning, um, Mav has this kind of idea, right, being little dumb that, you know, he's going to grow up to be an OG, right? And um, um, it, it's good that he has his people who, like I said, um, um, make him question those and interrogate himself. I think uh, that's one of the best things that someone who's young can do, right, is for their own development. And again, you know, this is, uh, I think we're still under growth uh, for the part one. Um, so he's definitely growing here. Part two growth. What's that? Oh, sorry. Yeah. I was I was thinking out loud. Um, part one is germination. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Part two is growth. Yeah. Right? So we're getting okay. there, but we're there, right? Like that's what's germinating, like everything that you're kind of, as you're getting there. Yeah. But yeah, um, you know, just a little later on 120, um, you know, he talks a little bit here about what happens um, when he says, um, you know, uh, when a king lord gets killed, chances are it was a GD, a rainbow, the one who told me my cousin better watch his back. Um, and then, uh, so this is a... Um, this is right after, um, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, Dre be becomes a victim here, right? And um, there was nothing that, just like with Star and Khalil, um, there was nothing that Mav could do. Um, you know, so it's a very uh, traumatic moment for him, uh, losing someone like Dre um, and, um, you know, he doesn't know who it was, but he says here, now Ant got a target on his. I swear if he did this, I'm going to kill him. You know, he sus suspects Ant, you know, as someone who's kind of been there trash talking from the beginning um, and also a garden disciple. Um, and then kind of my line, straw line here at the bottom says, Pops told me the other day that grief, something we all got to carry. I never understood that till now. Feel like I got a boulder on my back. It weighed down my whole body and I'd be wanting to cry out to make the pain go away. Men ain't supposed to cry. We supposed to be strong enough to carry our boulders and everybody else's. Um, and you know, there's a moment later on where he kind of um, has a discussion about this whole thing um, with Mr. Wyatt. Um, but here it's just him remembering, you know, what his father told him about grief. And, uh, you know, if anyone's seen that WandaVision. I was just thinking about that, <laughs> man. I was like, dude, that's what a great line. Yeah. You know, where um, what's his, uh, the vision, right, says, um, you know, what is grief if not but love uh, persevering uh, in response to Wanda? you know, um, um, being um, mourning, right? And um, having suffered so much, lost her family, right? Lost her brother, et cetera. Um, but um, yeah, so it reminded me of that now that I read reread it. You know, so it's kind of interesting how like you come back to a novel and, you know, you remember recent things. Um, but, um, you know, he, he, he still has that idea, right? Of manhood means you don't cry. Um, but um, I think that's part of the reason that the boulder he carries like Sisyphus is dragging him down. Yeah, I mean, not too much longer he talks about, I got to be strong. But so that means in his mind, strong means like not giving into those feelings. Exactly. You know, he's thinking that to be a man, right, means to be tough. And, you know, you gotta not, you gotta save face, right? Um, but he doesn't have that epiphany yet that this is what's gonna hurt him in the long run, 
So, yeah. So this kind of takes him a bad direction, you know, because um, he mentions he was at Dre's funeral, but he wasn't, he says. Meaning, of course, like he's on that, right? He says, so he's still very much, I think, of course, processing this whole thing. And, you know, going back to Everything Begins at the Kentucky Club, uh, we talked about, uh, you know, what, what does it mean to mourn someone? What does it mean to, um, you know, be at the funeral, right? Where it's a public kind of ritual. Um, so it's interesting seeing this one here where, um, he's mm. of course unable to process it um, in a way that is going to be good for him and um, I think it's part of that reason you know he has that very kind of um, Old Testament style thinking right of an eye for an eye um, because mm. he feels like he's got to go after Ant now yeah, his only conception of justice is is that, just that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, after that, you know, I didn't have something until 164. So I don't know if you had, if you all had something, you know, within those 30 pages or so. I mean, I think ours going together because I had 163 and it, I think it's the same, but just from the previous page. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you had anything mm. before before that, Vanessa. No. Okay. Well, um, I'm sure we have the exact same passage, uh, maybe. Yeah. Or where mine so. probably bleeds into yours, but it's this conversation yeah. with with Wyatt, and um, it's it just you know it's 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 a talk, a different kind of talk. There's always kind of talks, where you know I think Wyatt's kind of being this this bigger for him, um. Uh, says son the biggest lies ever told is that black men don't feel emotions guess it's easier to not see us as human when you think we're heartless uh fact of the matter is we feel things hurt pain sadness all of it we got a right to show them feelings as much as anybody else um is that what you had exactly yeah yeah so it's it's kind of uh i mean it's a what we were just talking about it's it's him kind of understanding a different kind of uh, approach to dealing with all this um and lastly i just kind of um again just talking about the, the different kind of approach why it has with him i guess like the tough love i think it's encapsulated so well in in this line that uh thomas angie thomas uses in the middle of uh, 164 or that passage Mr. White grabbed the, the back of my neck, strong enough to tell me he got me, but gentle enough to almost be a hug. I think, you know, it's so important that, that he hears somebody tell him this. Mm. I mean, I started kind of crying along. Part. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. You know, it's um such a, a strong passage um, and why I see Mr. Wyatt as my favorite character, even though he's kind of the supporting character. Um, and uh, that kind of uh, oscillation, right, between Mr. Wyatt, um, he's got the streaks, three strikes, right? And um, I think at this point, he's on strike one at least, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't think he gets more than the one, does he? He gets two. Because I think this, to. yeah, because one of them is smoking, right? And yeah, the other one's being him late. They're, are they the same? Oh one? yeah, right. I think it is the same one. Well, and then is another one. Um, is it being with King? Yeah, I thought no? that was related to the second one. Mm. Oh, man, I don't know. oh, hazy on that. Yeah, but um, but anyway, um. You know, and he's so a lovable character, right? In the sense that he's full of love for someone who needs it, right? And you really see the the, the importance of a father figure, right? So I think Mr. Wyatt's presence underscores um, Mav's, you know, big, uh, you know, Big Don's absence, 
um, and how much his presence here is missed. You know, he doesn't even know what to make of this, right? He says, I don't know if I'm screaming or crying, <laughs> man. And, um, you know, it reminds me a lot of uh, that show, Hentified, where I think it does a good job at that, mm. of that kind of, you know, relationship between father and son. Vanessa, I don't know if you had uh, any thoughts on this one. Um, um, I mean, I feel like you guys pretty much covered it. Um, I do think it's like an, a really important moment um, just because it's like really discussing like the idea or like, I guess in a sense, the stereotype that like black men don't feel, but like everybody mm -hmm. has feelings. Um, so I think it's like really important to like keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny, like he says, I pull my shirt over my mouth, but that don't muffle the sobs. It only catch my tears, you know? So like, it's, it's total bonding here, right? And um, you could clearly tell that this is the first time for him where a man has told him it's okay to feel like you're saying. Um, and uh, why these kinds of discussions are so important, right? And for men, whether it's black men, Latinx men, you know, um, um, I should say, you know, whether it's, 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 um, you know, however they identified by gender, right? Whether it's, it's, it's straight men, it's bisexual men, queer men. Um, you know, I think this is a very important passage for all those reasons. So and, you know, after this moment, um, you know, they have this little um, where they're going to go to the football game, right? And uh, it's kind of interesting how, you know, um, Ant uh, turns out to be there, right? And, um, you know, um, whom we thought would be a... Um, you know, the antagonist, right? The, the one who was gonna be the one he was gonna go after uh, himself ends up gone after, right? And so on page 172, you know, not a chapter goes by or chapter goes by and his aunt lies on the concrete, dead in a pool of blood. Um, and, uh, you know, in my passage here on 173, um, he says, the person who killed my cousin got killed. Um, Kazat was shot at a school function. It was all over the news. His parents cried on TV and I realized he had parents, like Dre. Some kids at school were really tore up over his death and I realized he had friends, like Dre. At a stadium, he got a memorial, like Dre. Everybody got mourned by somebody, I guess, even murderers. I don't know how to feel about it. I'm not happy and I ain't sad. I'm not relieved, not satisfied. I'm just, I don't know. Um, and so, you know, you, 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 it doesn't exactly um, humanize uh, Ant as much as it does kind of just normalize him, right? In the sense that he's ultimately just a kid, right? Who, yes, he is a murderer, um, but, um, <clears throat> You know, it's it's that realization, right? That with this kind of gang violence and um, retribution, um, that they're still in high school, you know, and um, so kind of all the more tragic, right? That they were so young, and um, you know, you wonder what what could have been what could have been different. I mean, it's always some just um, yeah. Well said, man. I I, I also I guess since we're we're here, I think. Uh... I always want to point out stylistic things too. And so I love how, you know, from 171 to 172, the way that Angie Thomas like shortens her sentences. And mm -hmm. I've always loved just how, how simple that, that works as a, a writing technique of, you know, creating drama is shortening the sentences and what we're reading and it speeds up your pace and just, just the the blank cold no description no you know freely adjectives freely i don't know why i used that uh speaking of freely ad of adjectives um just 
you know, the the simplicity of only one person not moving. Ant lie on the concrete, dead in a pool of blood. Mm. I love the the punch that has from writer to reader. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the, it's cr- crispness also is um, a stylistic attribute for, you know, um, how there's no need to kind of, you know, um, remain on that scene, right? You know, there's no more details that are needed, right? Very Hemingway style description there. Um, go straight to, you know, um, Mav just kind of talking about what, what the aftermath of all that and how he's kind of ambivalent about it. Um, so, you know, chapter 15 is, is where we're going to leave off and kind of takes um, an interesting turn for right at the end because mm-hmm. um, Lisa comes in. So 179 and 178. It's almost like the point where you, you don't want to put down the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hold up. Hold up. What? <laughs> Although, of course, if you've seen The Hate You Give, you're like, oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen, did I say seen The Hate I mean, read, but also seen. Yeah. And apparently, you know, well, we find out that Lisa is in possession of the time stone because we're told she says four words that stop time. Um, but no, I mean, those words, I think I'm pregnant. Um, after saying she was late, so good, good pickup for next episode. Yeah, thanks for joining us on this episode of Literally Literary, brought to you by Border Census and Power at the Pass. This episode, we discussed Concrete Rose by Andrew Thomas. If you haven't read it, we hope we inspire you to pick up a copy. Join us on our next episode as we continue discussing the novel. Follow us on Instagram at literallyliterary.ep and on Twitter at literallylit.ep.